we've been talking the last few weeks in this um, shift series about perspective and about how God wants us to shift, to change our perspective so that we can see things truly, so that with Jesus as our true north, we can perceive what's true and false, what's real, what's not real, what weighs more, what's more important, and what is more, is more trivial. Um, if you have, um, as I think about perspective, I think about the story of the, of the woman whose husband uh, had been in a coma for several months. He'd been in a coma several months. She had stayed by his side every single day. And then finally, one day in that hospital room, her husband's eyes opened and he became conscious. conscious. She went over to his side and he began to whisper to her. He said, honey, you have been with me through some pretty dark times. You stood by me when I lost my job. And you stood by me when the business failed. You were with me when I got shot. You were with me when we lost our house. And he said, you know what? And she leaned in very close, her heart full of warmth and love to hear what he would say next. He said, you know what? I'm beginning to think you're bad luck. <laughs> Perspective. Two people seeing the same thing, thinking two very different things. I'm thankful for children. If you're a parent, maybe you can identify with me on this. Children help us to see things sometimes the way we used to, to appreciate things the way we did years ago but have long since stopped appreciating them. Children tend to bring a freshness into our lives, whether it's this time of year and Santa Claus or whether it is a child enjoying ice cream for the very first time and just how amazing that tastes. I think about David, my son, when he was just a little guy, and, and when we used to go to the airport, we lived in Brazil for 10 years, so we were always flying back and forth and, and on airplanes a lot, and when we would go to the airport, he was thoroughly delighted by everything that air travel involved. The departure lounge and the excitement, the buzz and all the bags and the announcements and the planes that you could see out the window coming and going. And then when that voice came over the intercom and announced that it was our turn to board, he was thrilled. He was delighted by the jetway and finally stepping on board that massive airplane that was going to carry us to a destination far off. He would look in at the, at the cockpit as he entered and was just, it was just magical. He was just enchanted by all of the the dials and the levers and the uniforms. And then he, of course, wanted to sit where? On the aisle, not on the aisle, but by the window, always wanted the window seat. And so he would get the window seat and he would provide a commentary on everything that he saw out the window. And then the sheer joy as that plane accelerated and finally became airborne. He loved everything about flying. He loved the idea that they came by and gave him his own pack of peanuts and his own Coke. He loved everything about flying. But somehow, our perspectives are so different because I got to a point where I didn't enjoy, and I still don't enjoy flying very much. I mean, to me, it is... Uh, uh, 
I'm not in group one, I'm in group three. So I'm going to be fighting with a hundred other people to get my overstuffed carry-on into the overhead bin. Um, it is... It is trying to get uh, not a seat on the window, but a seat on the aisle so I can get off the plane maybe 15 or 20 seconds earlier that way when we finally arrive. It is, uh, everything about it is just annoying. It, it really, it, it really is. It is on the international flight when they serve the food and, and it's like, what's the deal with this lasagna that has the taste and the consistency of a bag of rubber bands? What is the deal? I just don't like flying, but my son is, is still, to this day, is delighted by it. So we have these very different perspectives, and in some ways, I wish I could have his perspective again. It's astounding, though, how two people can see kind of the exact same set of circumstances um, so differently, isn't it? Well, I think the parables of Jesus that we've been working through the past few weeks, they are designed to just to just blow up the way we see things. But the ideas we have about what life is about or what life isn't about, Jesus comes in and interrupts those. Um, he comes in the parables and he challenges these worn out, tired answers that we have to life's questions, whether it's about how you use your money or how you view your marriage or how you view a relationship with God, spirituality, how you view life and death. Jesus challenges those and he does it in an explosive way in the parables as he draws us in and then shows us a completely new version of life. Well, so he's constantly working to bring this shift about in us to give us a fuller and freer vision of life, questioning our usual kind of pat answers. Jesus uses these subversive little stories to, to talk to those who are listening, who are really paying attention, and not everybody is, right? In fact, Jesus turns to his disciples once in Mark chapter 8, and Jesus says this, or asks this question. He says, do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And I think he sometimes asks us that same question. Do you have eyes but you're not seeing, ears but you're not hearing? Let's talk to the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, we need our perspective changed, challenged, shifted, refreshed. We need you to work on the way that we see things. And this morning, we simply invite you to open our ears so that we can hear your message. That you open our eyes so that we can see the way things really are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Imagine, if you will, this scene. It's December of 2011. Brent is sitting at a bar. He has had a little too much to drink, but he's trying to numb himself after what has been a very gloomy day. Trying to numb his emotions trying to, to get a hold of himself after the wrecking ball 
that his boss dropped on him just a few hours before. You see, at, at Unitron, at his company, the company had enjoyed record profits in 2011. Never had the company had a year that successful. And so, it was time for the yearly bonuses to be passed out. And the owner met with Brent and his other companions of the sales department to pat them on the back and to deliver them their bonus checks. Brent had been with Unitron for 15 years, and the company had always given out really great bonuses in addition to the salary that he was paid. So... The first person that was called by the owner was Jenny. She was the new girl. She had only been with the company for several, mo- several months. Um, Brent recognized that she had a lot of ability, that she was going to do well in the company if she stuck it out. Um, so she was called up, and the owner patted her on the back, told her that he was looking forward to, to her being with the company for many years to come, and he gave her a check, and she looked at it, and she said, And he just nodded. She scurried off, and on her way out of the office, she was heard talking on her phone to her bestie. And you could hear both of them talking about how the trip to France was back on. And then the owner called Rajib up to the front. He was the second best salesman in the company, second only to Brent. And Rajib came up, and for the past few years, he had been doing really good work for the company. The owner thanked him for all of his work, his dedication, and handed him a check for $37,000. And as Brent saw him walking to his desk, and, and, and Rajib passed by him. Rajib said something about, well, I'm glad that this is the biggest bonus I've ever gotten here, but seriously, the same amount as the new girl? Come on. And he grabbed his coat, and he headed off. Finally, the owner called Brent up and said, I'll never forget the first day You were here with the company back in 1997, fresh out of college, full of enthusiasm. You didn't even need to shave back then, Brent. And we have been with each other for a long time. You have seen this company grow from nothing to where it is today, and we owe you so much. Thank you. And so the owner said, I know that that we have never given out a bonus this large to you and We just want you to know that we're grateful because of how well the company has done this year, and we're hopeful that next year's will be even bigger. Here's your check for $37,000. And just for like 15, 20 seconds, Brent just stared in silence at that check. And then his blood began to boil. Yeah bigger check than he had expected, a bigger check than he had ever gotten, but it was borderline criminal to give him the exact same bonus as the girl who'd been there for three months. I mean, what about his 15 years of service? What about him being the top salesman of the company for several years running? What about the fact that he had a wife and kids and a mortgage? This simply wasn't fair. 
And so he let the owner know it. And as he sat there in the bar later that day, stirring his drink slowly, he couldn't remember exactly what he said to the owner in his rant. But it was something about the years he'd put in for Unitron, and the, something about more experience than Rajib and certainly more than Jenny, and, and how unfair it was for him to be treated this way. And he remembers the owner didn't, relax, didn't react, just listened patiently and calmly. And finally, after he was done verbally vomiting on the owner of the company, the owner said, I've got a few things I want to share with you, Brent. Put his hand on Brent's shoulder and he said, look, I'm sorry to hear that you're hurt. I am. But I got to shoot straight with you. You should be grateful today. You've never gotten a bonus this big, right? I've always treated you right. I've always honored my word to you. You know that. I wish you could look at what happened today from my perspective. Brent, Unitron is my company. I own this company. My company has done exceedingly well. And if I want everyone to share equally in the prosperity of this company, then you should be happy for my generosity and for the fact that you work for such a generous boss. Not resentful and not bitter, but Brent couldn't be happy today. He just couldn't be cheerful. Who cares about the owner's perspective from Brent's point of view, this wasn't fair. So there was old Brent, 50% drunk, 100% depressed, holding on to the biggest bonus check he had ever received. Well, on that day in December 2011, from one point of view, the owner had never been so generous. From another point of view, the owner had never been so unjust. It's a question of perspective. Here's Jesus' version of the story. This is from Matthew chapter 20. I'll be reading from the New Living. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. He hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. He went, so they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around, and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. So the landowner told them, then go and join the others in my vineyard. At the end of the day that evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and to pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, they each received a full day's wage. 
When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you have paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them. He said, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Explosive parable. Explosive parable. And the question, I think, that jumps off the page of this parable, or several questions, one of them is this. If this parable seems unfair to me, why does it seem unfair? What is it about this parable that seems unfair? And to whom is God being unfair in the parable? Oh, he's being unfair to the people who worked all day. Being unfair to the people who worked the hardest. It's unfair to those who deserve more. That's who it's unfair to. So the way God works, if Jesus is right, it isn't fair. Because some people deserve more from God. Interesting notion, isn't it? This notion of deserving more from God. I mean, God gave life to me. Every breath that I have taken has been because God has generously provided oxygen for me to breathe and lungs with which I might breathe that air. Every opportunity I've had has been God-given. Any health that I enjoy is God-given. And oh, yeah, he gave the life of his own son for me on the cross. But somehow, I deserve more. Somehow, God has been holding back on me. Somehow, God has been kind of chintzy, kind of stingy with me. Your reaction to this parable, your perspective on God's generosity depends greatly on how much you think God owes you. <laughs> Broadly speaking... Your reaction to this parable likely depends on how many years you have been going to church and likely depends on whether you are a North American Christian and likely far wealthier than most Christians around the world or whether you were born in the squalor of a third world country. If you are a well-to-do churchgoer, 
and you have been going to church for a long time, then this parable probably doesn't sound like good news to you. doesn't sound like gospel to you. Sounds unjust. It sounds unfair, but if you were born in most parts of the world, this parable sounds amazing. Sounds so good. Your reaction to the parable will, to some extent, depend on whether you are used to being first or not. If you are customarily in first place, this parable sounds really unfair. If you think you are owed a great deal or you deserve a great deal, the parable seems grossly unfair. More to the issue. If I tend to believe the story is about me. <laughs> See myself as the main character in the story and judge things by how they affect me. Well, then I'll be resentful at how God operates. But what if the story isn't about me? What if the story never was about me? <laughs> What if I was able to shift from my perspective to looking at things from God's perspective? And I believe that's what this parable is an invitation to do, is to see things from God's point of view. Then the parable begins to look like good news. Then the gospel shines out of these words of Jesus because it tells of a God whose generosity is so far beyond me, I can't even understand it, right? This is a story that calls into question any theology, any theology that puts me at the center, right? I love this quote from uh, author Kelly Brown Douglas. She wrote these words. She, she wrote, you should do theology like you do a crossword puzzle. First of all, you do it in pencil, because it's very arrogant to do it in pen. As you find out more, sometimes you have to change answers you thought you had. Like that. Here's the thing. If your vision of how the kingdom works involves each person getting exactly what they deserve. Get out your eraser. Jesus is using this parable to teach us about grace, about God's kindness. Grace, a lot of de definitions, you know, undeserved favor. Grace. Um, acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, the Greek word kadis, just means a gift, a present. Grace. The New Testament makes it crystal clear that my salvation depends on God's grace, on a gift. The New Testament tells me that I am owed nothing. Or if anything, I'm owed punishment because of my sinfulness. The New Testament tells me that my good standing with God can only be good standing if God's grace has been applied to me in my life. Well, no matter how long you've been a Christian, 
No matter how much scripture you have committed to memory, which is a great thing, no matter how many prayers you have prayed, no matter how many hours you have donated to service in the kingdom of God, no matter how much you have done, no matter how much I have done, we owe our salvation to Jesus, not to ourselves, not to ourselves. No doubt you heard about the, uh, the Powerball lottery. <laughs> A lot of money got piled up in that Powerball lottery. And those winnings are nothing compared to the jackpot that we have won through Jesus Christ. So, if you strip away the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross for you, if, if, if I don't recognize the work that Jesus did for me on the cross, then I'm left with my sins. Every careless word I've ever said, every impure thought I've ever thought, every unkindness that I've ever treated someone with, every selfish motive, selfish impulse, I am completely condemned under the weight of all of that sin. I'm cursed, I'm condemned, I'm separated from God by my evil heart. If Jesus' work is not taken into consideration. But the gospel says, the good news says, that the righteousness of Jesus covers me and covers every man and every woman who walks with him in faith. The gospel says that you and I are new creatures in Jesus Christ. The gospel says that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that we are accepted by God through Jesus Christ, that we are adopted into God's family as his precious sons and daughters because of Jesus. That's what the gospel says. So here's what Jesus says about my perspective. Jesus says, Gordon... Don't try to determine who is more and who is less deserving of God's grace. It's grace. It's a gift. No one deserves it. The truth is none of us, not a single person, merits the grace that we receive from the master's hand. And yet, because of Jesus God's favor is poured out on us. And so at the end of the day, when God calls me to answer before him, and I put out my hand, I extend my hand not to receive a salary because of all of my hard work, but I put my hand out as a beggar trusting in the generosity of the master. And at the end of the day, when the question is raised, who's that guy who showed up last? Who's that person who is the least 
deserving? I know the answer. And you know the answer. It's me. It's you. And we're grateful. And that's why we praise. And that's why we serve. And that's why we live. Because we serve a generous, generous master.